Listening Dog Media. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly View system, deal. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. You're listening to the Offside Rule. We get it. World Cup Specials. Hello and welcome to another World Cup episode of the Offside Rule. We get it. And now myself and Kate Ball say, well, we're swinging in a hammock for starters. <laughs> we're going to look like such dossers, I swear. <laughs> we have been working hard. Uh, we are in Bouzios, which is a couple of hours outside Rio. This is our relaxation time, supposedly. It's our time for getting over the hangover of England leaving the World Cup, isn't it? Yes, and for anyone wondering about Kate's voice, that's not a hangover. That is actually a little bit of uh, Brazilian flu, isn't it? World Cup flu, yeah. Everyone everyone gets it. (laughs) Um, We are going to, by the way, as we record this podcast, we're going to carry on swinging. Um, just because I want to go back in time and be like a six-year-old girl again. Do you want to go back and say that again? Because the word swinging, <laughs> we, should, we, we should just say we, we are in a hammock. If anyone missed the first minute of this, we are on a hammock. We are, we are. Uh, so what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk a little bit, first of all, about our experiences here in Brazil. Uh, also about shock exits and, and the blame, where the blame lies, because there's been a lot of speculation <laughs> on the internet. Some of this is very amusing. I love the fact that the Russian media have 100% blamed Fabio Capello for Russia's exit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, we're going to talk about a couple of gleaming performances from players. I think it's time to heap some praise, isn't it, on, on some that are worthy of it. Absolutely, yes. Uh, we've got our adopted players update, adopted teams, and tell us a bit about our interview as well. We've got an extended interview in this podcast. That's right. Joana Bueno, who is a journalist over here in Brazil, um, has given us a really good chat, actually, about what it's like to be a journalist working on a sports newspaper, the amount of World Cup stuff she has to cover, and what goes into putting it all together as well. OK, well, that will be coming up shortly, but let's start with a little bit of an update for everybody who, who listened to the last podcast and what we've been up to, what we've been enjoying football-style, Brazilian-style, I guess. Or what we've not been enjoying, because since we last spoke to you guys, we went to go and see the uh, England-Costa Rica match. Yeah, that wasn't happy viewing. We went out with a bit of a whimper, didn't we? It was a bit of a flat performance. Um, I, I don't know what I made of that, actually. I was disappointed in England's final game. I know there were a lot of changes, and that can excuse a lot um, because the players are playing together, a lot of them, you know, uh, nine out of 11, for the first time over here. Um, but equally, I felt like I demanded, really, as an England fan, a bigger performance, a heartier performance. 
I don't know why Roy made so many changes, to be honest. And I understand about the youth and everything else. But, you know, apart from Luke Shaw standing out and giving um, a really good performance, I thought we should have put out a strong team and left the tournament with a win and, and at least left on a positive note rather than whimpering out with, you know, a great excuse as to why we've whimpered out. Um, bringing on Gerard and Rooney and, and having Lampard there already just felt to me more like... Um, a bit of an emotional goodbye from Roy, a bit of a tribute from Roy rather than an actual move to try and win the game. I felt as well, we must say, that the atmosphere for the Costa Rica yeah, match was good. much better than the, mm. the atmosphere for the Uruguay game. Those were the two England games that we went to out here. So that was a positive. Mm. Um, and, and I also must mention some of the England contingency because there was one quarter of the stadium that, that were camping in, in the stadium for a good 40 minutes after the final <laughs> whistle, singing England till we die and generally just being really supportive towards quite a few of the players, I think in the twilight of their careers, that maybe over the next few weeks will make announcements that they won't be taking part in any more major tournaments. Yeah, I think we can definitely see uh, a change of captain ahead, um, from what I understand, and um, a fair few retirements, yeah. Um, we will move on to a couple of other things that we've experienced. We went out in Brazil, didn't we, to a big street carnival. What happens is, over here, when Brazil play, you can't get a taxi, you can't get any food, <laughs> nothing can happen because everyone is so busy watching Brazil. Um, we decided to go and take in that experience in a northern part of Rio, didn't we, um, where they close off the streets and there's lots of bunting, yellow, yellow and green, everywhere. It was a great carnival atmosphere. It was. Brazil were playing Cameroon, I think, if I've got that right, because suddenly all the matches that we've seen have turned into a blur because we've overloaded (laughs) on World Cup games, haven't we? I think it was that game, the final group stage game for Brazil. And yet they they do just close off the whole centre. Everyone's got face painting, the kids are out, the shops are shut. It It is really the way to do it over here. Everyone stops for the football. Uh, we, we've been stopping lately, haven't we, the last couple of days, taking in Buzios, um, but the football reached here. I, I've got to mention our journey out here because we, we had to travel from three, it's about three hours outside of Rio, and uh, we, we actually got a hire car, and your other half was brilliant, wasn't it, driving us <laughs> an obscene um, hour of the day. Um, and at something like half one in the morning, we passed some children playing football, and that sort of sums up, they should have been inside in yeah, bed. Yeah. I, I don't agree with them being up at half one in the morning, but they obviously love it so much they do and there's a real injection of that everywhere I mean we, we sort of mentioned this before but everywhere you go every single space that you see there is a ball there is a child there is an adult everyone's having a go um, you went out in Buzios to go and take in um, the Brazil game here as mm-hmm. well, the last Brazil game that you watched. Um, and that was the same day that I went to go and see Uruguay versus Colombia back in Rio. So we had a couple of different experiences that day. We did. The town centre closed again. The shops were shut. Everyone was out in force. Families, elders, the young. Um, great atmosphere as well, actually. And there was a section of Chile fans there as well. And my favourite bit about the day was the Chile fans, which who just seemed to have adopted English chants and just made them <laughs> their own. So it was... Um, Ole, 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 Chile, Chile. In fact, that probably isn't in it. That, that, that probably did originate from a South American team. <laughs> I was going to say ole, I, I think know. did. But they just they just rehashed loads of English um, chants. So I was joining in with them without without really meaning to, trying to support Brazil and getting some angry looks from the locals. I'll, I'll move on to the game at the Maracanã a bit later because we're going to talk adopted teams and Uruguay were my new adopted team. So I can talk about my experience at the Maracanã a bit more in depth later. Uh, I have to just say, though, one of the best atmospheres 
as I've ever experienced at a football match. It was like being in Colombia. Um, <laughs> lots of yellow, lots of shouting, oh, fantastic stuff. Um, let's talk then, first of all, in, in topic sense, about sort of shock exits and where the blame lies. Where there's a blame, there's a claim. We know that. <laughs> um, so in footballing terms, where's the blame and where does it lie? We've got one example each. What have you managed to find... <laughs> I've decided to go for Spain, who've blamed, in part, their World Cup exit on poor Conchita Verst. If you don't know who that is, where have you been living for the last few months? She is, of course, she, he, is the Eurovision Song Contest winner, he, I should say, shouldn't I, uh, for Austria. Now, this is a bit of a loose connection, but I'm going to run through the evidence. Austria's last win at the Eurovision Song Contest uh, was in 1966, as we know, where the World Cup, when the World Cup was hosted in England. There are spooky parallels with 2014. In 1966, Atletico Madrid won La Liga. Real Madrid won the European Cup. Real Betis were relegated. Spain entered the World Cup as European champions, as they were, of course, this year, but went out in the group stage. All of these spooky parallels mean that Conchita Verst has been blamed. Poor love. Been blamed for Spain's World Cup exit. By the way, if you're also drawing parallels, in 1966, the host nation won the World Cup. My tip to win the World Cup, Brazil. Could that happen all over again? It could. I'm loving these parallels, these spooky parallels with Eurovision. I, I do feel like it's a little bit tedious, though. <laughs> clutching at straws, are they? <laughs> yeah, it is, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of clutching at straws, uh, poor Conchita Verst. Well, poor Mick Jagger. <laughs> I have to say, uh, it's the Brazilians that are blaming Mick Jagger here for Italy's exit. So this isn't coming from the Italians themselves, but I wonder if they'll pick up on this in the press and run with it, because everybody wants to blame someone, don't they? Well, the Italians love a good excuse, don't they? Uh, what has happened is Mick Jagger, at the age of 70, um, I don't know why, but of recent years, he's, going, he's gone into football predicting. <laughs> it all started back in 2010, didn't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, so if we go back to South Africa and, and the World Cup in South Africa, he makes an appearance at a World Cup wearing a Brazil shirt. It was for Brazil's quarterfinal match against the Netherlands, the game that they lost and went out of that World Cup. Um, and a lot of people just thinking, oh, there's Mick Jagger with his son wearing a Brazil shirt. Not really linking two and two together then. But then history starts to, to take fold. This is what starts to happen. So we go forward a little bit. Um, just before the World Cup, he was predicting that Portugal would do very, very well. He was in Lisbon playing in a concert in May and said to the crowd that he thought that Portugal would really do brilliantly. Well, just, that's not the case, is it? up to the crowd, really, wasn't he? I mean, I mean, you're in Lisbon at a gig. Who else are you going to say is going to win the World Cup? But just, <laughs> it didn't stop the Brazilians from speculating that he was the cause of Portugal not doing so well in this World Cup. Well, yeah, that's what the Brazilians are saying. So, again, still feels a bit tedious, doesn't it? Uh, 19th of June, when England were playing, um, he tweeted, uh, let's go, England, this is the one to win. Of course, England <laughs> lost. <laughs> but I still don't think that's enough. I still think this is, you know, everybody would get behind England and say, come on, come on. Um, however, um, at a concert in Rome, he told 70,000 fans that Italy would beat Uruguay and they lost. <laughs> oh, dear. That does seem like a bit of a curse. Um, so maybe there is something in this. Maybe there's something in the fact that uh, that Mick Jagger is really a, just a bit of a bad omen for, for, for football. He's just a football blabbermouth, isn't he? He shouldn't go about predicting the games when he knows nothing about them. 
Absolutely. Um, someone who does know a lot about football is Joanna Bueno. And uh, we had a, a lovely chat with her. That was by the lake in Rio, wasn't it? Oh, it was so lovely. Um, and Joanna's a Brazilian-born, uh, but a Rio-born journalist here. And she was happily able to take us through her experiences of the World Cup so far. Check out all our latest World Cup content on OffsideRulePodcast.com. Well, we're by Lagoa, which is a beautiful lake here near central Rio. Myself and Lindsay Hooper taking in the scenery. We've got the lake in front of us. There's boating going on. There's a, there's a Swiss section for the World Cup by us. And if you hear some music in the background, just to be really multicultural, that's a Portuguese band. Yes, I think they're doing a little bit of dancing as well, all because Portugal are playing today as we're recording this. It's Sunday in Rio, and we're very shortly off to Belo Horizonte, but we thought we'd get a couple of chats in first. And this one is with Joana Bueno, who actually works out here for press. You've got a very detailed role, actually, for the World Cup because you're doing a lot of coordination. I understand, Joanna. Yeah, I am one of the main editors during the World Cup. So we have lots of reporters following different teams and lots of reporters in different cities. And they all send their material to us and I define which is going where and set the pages and give it to them and gather the whole material in order to be on the paper the the following day. So because you set some of the agenda, I guess, from, from an editorial point of view, what stories have been working well? What kind of stories are you actively looking for? Well, actually, the Spain elimination has been going really well. Everyone was really surprised. But not for Spain. <laughs> oh, definitely not for Spain. But everyone was really surprised. And I think here in Brazil, people were thinking that Spain was really full of themselves, all the players. And our reporter that's following the Spanish team says the players are not really nice, not charismatic, that the audience, the, the public, is by the hotel and by the restaurants where they are. And they don't, you know, they don't give a wave. They don't send away kisses or sign shirts. So we were thinking that Spain got, was really full of themselves. So to see them beat, get beaten by Holland 5-1 and then eliminated at the second round for us, it's like we have one less contester. We are hoping, from an England point of view, it sort of overshadowed our exit from the competition. What is the feeling like for England as a football team? Because on our way to the game in Sao Paulo to go and see that Uruguay match, we just noticed how many people were wearing England shirts, England flags, but they were all from either Brazil or foreign countries. It seems to be a team that people flock to. Yeah, here in Brazil, of course, we're all for the Brazilian team, but we're enjoying this big party that is the World Cup. So everybody picks a favourite team that day and they're going to, you know, be be for some team or this day or that day. It depends on the match. And England has really charismatic players and England has really good teams because here we follow the Premier League really well. And my... My uh, personally, I thought that Liverpool did a really good job this this Premier League. So with Sterling and Sturridge, and I was expecting more from the England team, but I was expecting those two players to play really well, and they did actually. But you know, the team itself did not play very well. Well, Liverpool's my team, so I like you a little bit more now, Joanna. Yeah. I have to say, and also, of course, I'm a lot of Chelsea players in the Brazilian team as well. Yeah, here the Premier League is really, really famous and really popular. Everybody watches it. And Chelsea, of course, is one of the most popular teams because of the Brazilians and also because of Mourinho because he's such a character. And, you know, we might like him. Uh, People either hate him or love him, but he's such a character. So we're a big fan of Mourinho, even though he's not very charismatic. Uh, in terms uh, of the, the paper and how you're putting it together at the moment, um, I'm sure at this time it, it's pretty much all World Cup, is it not? 
Yeah, it is. I would say it's about 95% of the paper because our league is, has just started. We had nine rounds and now we stopped the league for the World Cup. So it's going to be like a month and a half without any matches for the Brazilian league. But we still do the coverage for the big teams because here we have four big teams in Rio and four big teams in Sao Paulo. So we have lots of material for those teams. But we, during the World Cup, you do not, you cannot have anything else but the World Cup. So we're doing a really big thing and the paper is bigger than usually and it's selling really good. We've seen a fair few uh, Botafogo, Corinthians fans as well on our travels too. Uh, is your paper a specific sports paper? And give it a plug as well. What's the title of it? It's called Lance and it's a sports paper. Right now, it's the only big sports paper in Brazil because there was some competition, but, you know, with the media crisis all over the world, some papers did not do very, really good. So it's the main paper here, a sports newspaper in Brazil. But our biggest thing, uh, the thing that makes us sell the most and makes us famous is the coverage for the big teams. Botafogo, Corinthians, Flamengo and all of those teams, uh, those fans are the ones that buy our paper. So during the World Cup, you know, we have to try to reach some different audience. Do you know or are you aware whether your paper has got any big scoops during this World Cup? Is there something that you think that your paper's covered or a story that they've managed to get that no one else has? Well, so far, no, we didn't have any. We usually do with the teams because, you know, the, we have reporters that are covering day-to-day -day and they're, you know, talking to managers and talking to everybody in the teams. But during the World Cup, it's a bit harder. Yeah. You definitely haven't had anything from Spain by the sounds of it. <laughs> it sounds like that's been a very close shot. Um, tell us about how Rio's changed. I mean, obviously, we've been travelling all over for this World Cup, but you live in Rio and you've lived here for several years. Has the city changed? Is it a bigger, more um, showy version of how it normally is, or is the vibe the same? No, it has changed a lot. I mean, Rio is a really touristic city. I think in Brazil, the most touristic city ever in, in, in the country. But we're used to receiving people from all over, the, all over the, the world, from different countries. But during the World Cup, it's been amazing. I mean, you have... You'd have like in the Argentina would Argentina would play against Bosnia, and there was about fifty thousand Argentinians here in Rio. So we're receiving lots of tourists and people are out on the streets and having fun, and getting to know people. So it's been it's a different vibe and it's really nice. We've got to ask you as well, Joanna. Um, some of the Brazilian public not a big fan of the World Cup. I met a man on an airport transfer actually, a Brazilian from Sao Paulo, saying that he he wasn't supporting Brazil and that he wouldn't be watching. No, I mean, he was very defiant about it. Very intelligent-looking business guy. Just said, I'm not a fan of this at all. Um, you're out there and you're covering this and you're a resident of Rio. Tell us how the public are really feeling about this World Cup. Well, this World Cup being organised in Brazil was a very polemic issue because... Here, I mean, of course, here in the lake you don't see that, but there's a lot of poverty and there's a lot of infrastructure that should be done in Brazil. And the politicians are not very willing to do that. But for the World Cup, suddenly they were willing to do everything. But they stopped on the stadiums. They promised a lot of infrastructure jobs and they didn't. They promised a lot of work, a lot of thing, things that would improve, and they didn't. I mean, you see the airports are the same, the roads are the same, transport are, is the same, the subway is the same. You know, but they've spent a lot of public money on stadiums and some stadiums that we don't think there was going to be any use after the World Cup. For instance, the stadium in Manaus and the stadium in Mato Grosso, Cuiabá, 
there's no football over there, no professional football, no big teams. So what are they going to do with that afterwards? And they were built with public money. So there was a lot of protests against that, lots of demonstrations. And people were right when they demand, you know, we can have the World Cup, yeah, sure, but, you know, make the World Cup, leave something better behind. And I don't think there, would, there is going to be anything, any legacy. I mean, yeah, we can see some improvements, but, you know, the legacy that they were promising, there's not going to be. So people are very mad about that as well. So some people that usually support the Brazilian team, that usually watch the World Cup, are very mad about that. They're going out in the streets, still protesting, and one of the forms of protest is not following the teams ever, not watching any matches. And I have some friends that are always cheering against the teams, cheering for the teams that play against Brazil. So, you know, they're not against the team itself, but it's kind of a form of protest for the world, against the World Cup. I guess we'll finish by asking you who you think will be in the final of the World Cup. It's a little way away. Um, and who potentially you see winning this, this tournament. I had really high expectations with Brazil, but the two first matches were not so good, so I don't really know what to expect next. I mean, Brazil usually gets better along the competition, so I really hope that would happen as in this World Cup as well. But I think German has a really, really strong team with young players, with really talented players in every position. I don't think you can say there's this one spot, there's this, you know, weakness. And they have really good substitutes as well and the coach is really good. So I'm a bit afraid of the German team. <laughs> oh, everyone's afraid of the Germans, whether it's beach towels, whether it's penalties. <laughs> They get You're to us. out some stereotypes there. <laughs> Dig them out. Um, well, thank you very much to you, Joanna. It's been lovely to talk to you and enjoy the rest of the World Cup. I know you're, you've been suffering from World Cup flu already. It hits us all at a certain point. I yeah. think, hoops, you might be going down with I it. I think so. I, I woke up with a, a bit of a sore throat this morning. All, all I'll ask to make me feel better is if you get any of those scoops from any of your journals, will you give us a bell? Will you let us know what they are? <laughs> and surely sitting by a wonderful lake in Rio with Christ the Redeemer in the background and all sorts of lovely life, tourist life going on around us is quite the tonic. Yes, thanks Joanna, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much to Joanna, it was a really lovely chat, we really enjoyed speaking to her, didn't we? Very intelligent lady. Uh, let's move on to gleaming performances at this World Cup. I want to pick out a couple of players each, a couple of players that have really taken our eye. Like you mentioned already, Kate Borsay, I think it's getting rather confusing for us, taking in all these <laughs> World Cup matches. Big screens on Copacabana Beach all the way through to street screens, Budweiser screens in the middle of, of Rio Ambusios. Um, but cast your mind back, who has stood out? Well, I wanted to mention yesterday's game when Mexico uh, played uh, against the Netherlands. So nearly did it, didn't they? One up for most of the game until the Netherlands rescued it in the final few minutes for themselves. But how good was the Mexico keeper, Guillermo Ochoa? I thought he was brilliant. And I thought... Do you know what really made it for me? His saves looked fantastic because he had this big pair of white gloves on, this skinny black top, these red shorts, almost looked, almost in the nicest possible way, looked a bit like Mickey Mouse. In fact, he was sort of spreading himself all over the goal, doing some fantastic jumps and moves. He just reminded me of a character from a video game. He made some spectacular saves. In fact, when the Netherlands really started pushing in the sort of latter half of the second half of that game, he pulled off some great saves. And OK, he was undone twice, once by... Uh, 
a great goal by the Netherlands and then, of course, by a penalty. Not much that he could do about those, really. I thought he was fantastic. And I know Mexico are out, but I did want to give him a shout out just for the sheer moves, the kind of computer game style moves that he was pulling off. There have been a couple of brilliant goalkeeping performances. Mm. Um, I have to say that the, the goalkeeping in general has been top notch at this World Cup. It has. Also the Chile keeper as well, Bravo, I think his name is. I wanted to say Bravo to Bravo. <laughs> bravo to Bravo. Um, a round of applause for him. Um, I've, I'm going to go for a forward. Um, I know that's quite predictable with the golden boot conversations always being had, but James Rodriguez, how mm. brilliant has he been for Colombia? No Falcao. And Rodriguez is really in contention for the golden boot. They face Brazil next. That could be a juicy encounter, couldn't it? He's so young, isn't he? And I know that we've spoken about um, him in earlier podcasts, and I've certainly had him down as one of my ones to watch, and he hasn't disappointed at all. Uh, the... Um, the Colombian coach just saying, look, he is absolutely top of his game. He's putting in some fantastic performances. And he is. He's totally rescued Colombia and he's made Colombia look like a force, even without Falcao. Yes, absolutely. Um, my other one, I'm going for a Brazilian player. So this Brazil-Colombia match will be great viewing for me. Uh, David Luiz uh, mm. plays in the Premier League, um, plays his trade with Chelsea, of course. I really like him in a centre-back role rather than in midfield. I think he's been brilliant for Brazil, had a really good tournament so far. Please don't now go and make me look like a fool. <laughs> He's had a really great tournament. I thought he was especially good in that Brazil game against Chile. Uh, scored the first, scored the only goal for Brazil there and then uh, stepped up to take the first penalty, which is no mean feat. Brazil struggled on penalties in that game, as did Chile. It wasn't a great penalty shootout for either team. Uh, but he, I thought he was very, very composed. One of Brazil's successful penalty takers, and there weren't many, but there were enough, of course, to see them through to the quarters uh, when they play Colombia. And I just can't wait for that game. I know we We've mentioned it already, but how good is that game going to be? I wanted to mention Neymar. Yeah. Because he has lived up to his billing. It would be so easy. I think he's 22, isn't it? It would be so easy, you know, for the poster boy of the World Cup not to perform. And he hasn't disappointed at all. Scored four goals in the first three group games for Brazil. Um, Of course, his penalty against Chile was great. Very, very composed. Just so good to watch his skill and pace. He's also been quite good defensively in that sort of final attacking third as well. Winning possession at at sort of vital. Winning a lot of balls back, Mm. yeah, you're right, and and causing a a flood of new attacks, really. Um, I like that in a striker, if if they trap back constantly plug away and that's when you nip and pick and, and potentially pick up pick up some balls and you never know what that might lead to. It could eventually lead to a, a blunder in defence and then he might capitalise mm. at a crucial point. Well he always looks like a threat, you know, he never has a quiet game. It's just the fact that like every good striker, like every good forward he's able to seemingly create something out of nothing and that's what I love about him as well. He pops up, he makes a blistering run and really you know, it's anyone's guess as to whether that's going to go in the back of the net or not but the point is he creates the opportunities to do so. Okay, we'll finish off by having a quick chat about our adopted players that we had before coming out for the World Cup. We picked out a couple of players to watch um, and also our adopted teams. Uh, Let's start with the players because um, we're going to have to hope that France (laughs) make it through (laughs) a bit further because we both went for French players. Uh, Paul Pogba, I went for a mixed tournament. Um, He hasn't quite been the star billing, but he has impressed. Um, He was very good in the last game against Ecuador and responsible for creating a couple of really good chances. Um, he has been cautious, 
mentioned, he has ha- at times worried me a little bit, but still the promise is there. I think maybe I tipped him just a bit too early. Well, talking of the French, I went with Antoine Griezmann. I think he's had a slightly better tournament than Paul Pogba in terms of showing promise. He went close with a good volley, actually, against Ecuador. Still too early for either player. If France are going to make it through the tournament, and they play in Nigeria today, as we record this, if they make it through, they could meet Germany in the quarterfinals. So wow. it's time for either player to step up and show what they're worth. Can they do it? Well, they're both very, very young, aren't they? And they aren't necessarily first-choice starters for France either. So a lot will be about the team that is put out on the day. But both have the potential, still have the potential, to uh, perhaps create a match-winning goal or really turn on some trickery, turn turn on some magic, perhaps. I can't see France beating Germany if it gets to that point. Um, adopted teams then, a little update. So because I picked out England out of the hat, it meant that whoever knocked England out, I had to support. Whoever knocks them out, I just have to follow a team all the way to the final, hopefully, as do you. Um, now, my team now means that was Uruguay, and I went to the Uruguay-Colombia game. As everyone will know, uh, listening to this, uh, Uruguay were knocked out by Colombia, which means I now adopt Colombia. I have to say, I witnessed the James Rodriguez volley, which was sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an, a brilliant game to go to. Absolutely loved it. And to be honest, I didn't need much persuading. I don't need my arm twisting like no. I did with Uruguay to support Colombia. No, Colombia are one of my teams to watch and have been since before the tournament. So I'm actually well jowl <laughs> now that you've got Colombia. Hang on a sec. You've got Holland. I have got Holland, the Netherlands. I almost had Mexico, of course, yeah. for most of that game. The Netherlands were 1-0 down, weren't they? But they are now through to the quarterfinals where they meet Costa Rica, who I also really like as a team, actually. I, I, I really applaud Costa Rica and everything that they've done in this tournament so far. They meet on the 5th of July. Um, so, yeah, the Netherlands, <laughs> I think they could have done more in that um, Mexico game and it does worry me a little bit but I guess what counts is that they were able to turn on the magic when it counted and that is the mark of a good team a great team absolutely um, I think we will be able to continue and round up this chat we'll see what happens with our adopted teams and who we get all the way through to the final because we'll do one more of these podcasts back in the UK mm. um, we'll say farewell for now keep an eye on the website because we've got loads more world cup content on there offsiderulepodcast.com also at offsiderulepod on twitter and also the youtube page youtube or as my mother wrote in, in an email yesterday you as in the letter you tube well no she actually wrote you tub YouTube. Um, please don't go and look for YouTube. You look for YouTube. The channel is The Offside Rule TV. More videos on there. Thank you for listening. And I know we sound very relaxed. You sound like you've got, you know, World Cup flu. But um, anyway, we hope you enjoyed and we'll speak to you again soon. The female take on football. And this time from Brazil.